Well, good morning. Welcome. It's great to see you. Hope you have a nice morning so far. For me, the day usually starts at 11, so uh, always takes ex- extra coffee on a Sunday morning. Hey, I don't normally start with the Gallatin County Sheriff's Office report, but uh, I just thought maybe the culprits are here, so uh, a few kids in a Jeep were driving over dirt piles at the New Journey Church. We got you under surveillance, so just uh, going to let you know about that. So if there's deep conviction this morning, you'll know, uh, you'll know what that's about. So. All right. Hey, we're going to jump right into the life of Moses. We're looking this morning at uh, five barriers God overcomes in our lives when the Lord gives us a life purpose and uh, things come against that life purpose. Uh, Eric Little died in 1945 at the age of 43. He was a missionary to China. He was from Scotland. His uh, life became famous through the Oscar-winning movie Chariots of Fire. But along with his passion for ministry and missionary work, he had another great skill. It was athletic, and he was a runner. Scotland had never won an Olympic gold medal. Eric Lytle was called the Flying Scotsman. He was the fastest runner that Scotland had ever had. He was also engaged to be married. And at a point in his life, while still in Scotland, Scotland running for the University of Edinburgh, his fiancée became concerned that his passion for running would somehow subvert his commitment to the Lord and to missionary enterprise. And so they had this discussion on a long walk out into, the, out into the hills of Scotland. And finally, Eric turned to his fiancée and he said, I know that God's called me to be a missionary. My commitment to being a missionary has not wavered. But when I run, I feel the pleasure of God. When I run, I feel the pleasure of God. In fact, Eric, Light, Eric Little did win the gold medal in the 400-meter race. He eventually went off to China as a missionary and died in a Chinese prison camp. When I run, I feel the pleasure of God. In all of our lives, we have a spiritual DNA that is linked with life purposes that are part of why we walk this earth. And when you slip into Moses' life, the book of Exodus and on, it's not difficult to find what part of his life purpose was about. Moses was driven by a sense of justice, by delivering other people. Though he grew up in the courts of Pharaoh, part of the most successful and powerful country in the world at that time, he went out and he walked among his people, the Jewish people, who were slaves, He saw one of the slaves being abused. He looked one way and the next, and then he killed the Egyptian guard that was abusing a Jewish slave. He found out the following day that somebody had seen this. In fact, a warrant had been issued for his arrest, and he fled into the the wilderness. But he was driven by a sense of justice and deliverance. We see it again as soon as he gets into the wilderness country. 
He comes upon a well where a group of women are trying to feed their flock, but a group of men with other flock are pushing him away. And he steps in and he delivers the women. And the father is amazed that the women have returned so quickly from watering the flock. And they said, well, there was a man who came and protected us. Again, we see this spirit of deliverance, this desire for justice that was part of the spiritual DNA of Moses' life. But now he's on this backside of the desert. He's been there for 40 years. And God reappears and appeals to that sense of spiritual DNA. That is something all of us possess. A spiritual landscape, a spiritual DNA that yearns for achievement and significance and purpose in given arenas of our life. The Lord appeals to Moses. And in that appeal, he suggests to Moses that he's to return to Egypt and to deliver his people because he's heard their cries. Now let's stop here for a moment. Often, it is in the heart of God to take us back to the point of our worst failures and to rewrite history so that we can give it a new meaning. We sometimes spend part of our life running away from the failures of our life, the points of shame, the times when we were at our worst, the difficulties we don't want to remember. But it is part of God's great redemptive skill to actually invite us to return to that very place so that he can help us rewrite a history so we'll never look upon that event, that time, that decision, the same again. And that was Moses' invitation that he received from the Lord. And in the face of that invitation to a great purpose, to a purpose that was aligned with his own passion and the spiritual DNA of his life, Moses came up with five, sometimes they're called excuses, but if you read them carefully, in all, in all likelihood, all five of these things were true. And Moses thought they were good reasons why he was a poor choice. In fact, they are so, they are, they are delivered with such uh, insistence that it is fairly obvious that Moses thought that whoever God had hired in the HR department had not done a very good job. That the forms ought to be revised. That somebody wasn't checking references. Because, after all, this was Egypt he was asking him to go back to. A place that he had run out of. A place that he had failed at. Surely he could not be this person. And when the Lord comes to us and reminds us that he has created us with a spiritual DNA that serves his kingdom and this world, we'll hear, A, the voice of Satan. It was Satan who said to Eve, hath God said? And planted into her doubts about what God was up to. Or perhaps sometimes other people. It was Job's wife who said to Job, in the midst of his effort to be faithful during suffering, why don't you just curse God and die? Some would question whether Job married well. (laughs) Nevertheless. 
But often it is not Satan and it is not other people we come up with knowing what we know about ourselves. We come up with the reasons why we are poor candidates to participate with God in any lofty endeavor that might change us or the world. So often we look at this passage in Exodus 3 and 4 looking at the reasons Moses gave. But I'd like us to look this morning at the solutions God responded with as Moses gave God the reasons. Let's pray together. Fathers, we dip into these five. It's not likely that there's a person here who has not thought of a reason somewhere along the line why they're not a good candidate for something. I pray that you'll break down strongholds that hold us back from the spiritual DNA for our birthright, for what you have created us for. That We'll be able to say with Eric Little, when I do this, I feel the pleasure of God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, the first, uh, the first reason why Moses said he was not a good candidate was this. When God came up with this idea of him going back to Egypt, Moses said, Who am I? I have no credentials. There's nothing about me that would suggest to anybody that I'm the one that you should pick to do this. And here was the Lord's response. Provision number one, when we're in the midst of uh, an invitation from the Lord. God's presence in the enterprise. Exodus 3.12 I will be with you and this will be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. I will be with you. God's presence in the enterprise. God's promise that no matter where we're at, in what kind of relationship or circumstance or difficulty or event or enterprise, God's presence is aligning himself with me. Yea, though I walk through, through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. But how does that become tangible? It becomes tangible when I accommodate His presence. When I give space to His presence. Um, I have to travel quite a bit. And uh, I and my wife Marcy travel quite differently. When I travel, about 15 minutes before I leave, I grab a suitcase... I, you know where this is going, don't you? I, I take a couple shirts, pair of jeans, uh, throw some odds and ends, uh, grab a toiletry bag, and think, you know, I'm not leaving the continental United States. If I forgot something, I can probably find it. Now, when Marcy travels with me, even if it's to Billings for a two-night weekend, she likes to pack for any eventuality. So days before, she'll get a big suitcase. She'll put it on the floor between the bedroom and the bathroom, open the top, and about every, every other hour, she'll walk by and throw something in that. Every eventuality. Because who knows, on our trip, we might encounter a continental tsunami. 
volcanic eruption, torrential rainfall, attack of a wild beast, we might be unexpectedly invited to have tea with the Queen of England. And what would we wear? So I pack my bag when I'm just traveling alone. I throw some stuff in. Now, she's very gracious, never critical about this, but as I'm leaving, she'll, she'll kiss me goodbye, and then she'll say something like this. So, you're wearing that. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm actually partially colorblind. So, I don't know if there actually is something wrong, or if she's just... You know, messing with me. (laughs) So when I'm traveling with her, I'm talking to her ahead of time about what we're going to be doing, and we're planning together, and we're visiting on the road. See, when I travel with Marcy, I accommodate her presence. It's not a passive activity. It's not saying, well, I'm in this circumstance, I'm in this enterprise, God said He's going to be with me, so, all right, Lord, show up. No, I I am actively involved in interacting, in looking for, in planning for. Marcy's probably, we'll say, all right, now, whenever we go to Billings, we have to eat at Olive Garden. So, like, do we want to eat there Saturday night or Friday night? Well, we're going to get there a little late for Friday night. There'll be a crowd there. So, you see? See that accommodating his presence? When God promises his presence, it often doesn't become obvious unless I accommodate it. I interact with it. I look for it. I create dialogue and action related to it. That answer wasn't enough for Moses, and he came up with a second reason why he wasn't a good choice. He said, now listen, if they ask me who you are, I don't know what to tell them. What what God are you? And so we read in Exodus 3, 14 and 15, God's response. God said to Moses, I am that I am. I am hath sent me. Tell them that. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob hath sent me. One of the things the Lord was saying is, listen, I have a track record. I'm the God with a track record. I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I'm the God of Jacob. I have a history. He is inviting Moses to remember the activities of God. The achievements of God. Am I able to recount the achievements of God? When I get into a particular situation or face a particular enterprise, can I sit back and rehearse the achievements of God? It was a common activity in the Old Testament that when God showed up and did something, he'd ask the children of Israel to go out and gather a bunch of rock and pile it up somewhere. People think, well, it was just an altar. He says, and then you pile this rock up and then remember. And in the oral tradition, tell your children what I've done. Rehearse the activity, the exploits of God. And so he gives us Daniel in the lion's den and Joseph's rise to power in Egypt. 
and Nehemiah rebuilding the wall. And then you and I, we ought to have friends that can rehearse the activity of God. Well, when I was in this situation, here's what God did. And when I was in this situation, here's what God did. And then we ought to be able to rehearse to ourselves and others. I don't know how God's going to work this out, but when I was over here in this situation, here's what he did. And I rehearse the activity of God. There ought to be times that I tell those around me the things God did that were just simply humanly impossible. Because otherwise, why would we want to serve this God? If God can't give us stories, then he's not the God of the Bible. The Bible is just some stories disconnected from my daily life. We have to be people who have stories. When I resigned my job in the, my early 50s and decided to move to England and be without an income and wondered how in the world God was going to provide, I thought he was in it, but I, I did not have answers to numerous situations that we were going to encounter. And a couple of businessmen said they would at least support partly the enterprise that I was involved in, and immediately one of them died. I said, well, it's not very good to be aligned with me at the moment. I came home at Christmas time actually thinking I was not going to go back. I thought that there's no way, there's no earthly way this can work. And yet during that year, Marcy and I, we, we were in, we've been involved in church planting and stuff like that in our lives, so we are not people of means at all. But during that year, save only a couple weeks, our savings account never dropped below $10,000. And after I got back to the United States, I went to a coffee shop one day and I took out a piece of paper and I thought, I'm just going to work out how this actually happened with arithmetic. And I took two or three runs at it and realized I couldn't make it work out. There was no earthly explanation for how we could have maintained that kind of savings account throughout that year with the economic pressures we had. It was like the Old Testament, the woman who had the, who had the vase filled with oil, with just a little bit of oil, and every time she poured out oil, there always seemed to be more oil. You and I have got to have stories, or why should anyone want to believe the God that we serve? And why should God expect us to be talking about Him if He never gives us stories? He said, you tell them that I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I've been around and I have achievements and I can deliver them. Provision number three, Moses said to them, yeah, but God, what if they don't believe me? You and I can always come up against obstacles for which we have no, we have no power. I can't make them believe me. I'll go back to Egypt and they'll be in the shadow of this great empire and they'll just say, we don't believe you. We see the power of this country. There's no way that one guy is going to deliver a bunch of slaves who've been under oppression for 400 years, have no history then of doing battle and warfare and were going to somehow be delivered. 
Provision number three is our resources are expanded by God for the enterprise. Exodus 4.2, the Lord says to him, well, what's in your hand? Moses said, well, a rod. It's a shepherd's rod. He said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground. It turned into a stake. He said, grab the end of it. Grab the end of the snake. It turned back into a rod. What, what was God doing? God was saying, you just give me what you have. And I'll expand it beyond your expectations. But you have to give it to me first. Even if it's a rod. Do I have access to what you have? There's a little phrase in ministry called ex nihilo. Ex nihilo means this. It means like if I am on some enterprise that God smiles on, it it brings God's pleasure, then him and I were working together on it. He's involved in my efforts up to, let's say, here. But then from here to here, it's all him. The stuff from here to here happened. There's no way to explain it. God is saying to Moses, will you give me access to what you have so we can go together from here to here and then I can take it from here to here? Ex nihilo. So Jesus is speaking to 5,000 and it's lunchtime. He says, well, do we have any food? Disciples said, "Let be better send them back into town for food." He says, "What do we got out here?" He says, "Well, there's a boy. He's got a few loaves of bread and a few fish for a lunch." Jesus said, "Bring them to me." And he asked the boy for the loaves and fishes. You and I are looking on, thinking, "All right, I don't know who ordered in the vegetables, but somebody's really short on this." But he blessed them. He told the disciples to start handing it out. And as, as long as they handed it out, it kept multiplying. As long as the widow kept pouring, it kept multiplying. It wasn't going to multiply if she wasn't going to pour. It wasn't going to multiply if they weren't going to hand it out. But when they made it accessible to God, it began to multiply. So I ask myself. I take inventory and I say, what do I have that I can put at God's disposal so he can begin to show up. And you know, what that, you know what that is? That's living as if miracles are apt to occur. And you know what? God is so gracious. You know what he does? He invites us just to do some little thing because he knows we're afraid. So he goes to Gideon, who's afraid. He says, now, what God had in mind was that Gideon, with 300 men, were going to go up against 135,000 Midianites. But he knew that Gideon couldn't start there. He couldn't even conceive it. So you know what he did? He says, now, go into town and tear down that pole. There was a pole to Asherah, a god. He says, go in and chop down that pole. Little step. When you, when you came in, you got a... Let me show you how this works. You got a little card. A little three-by-three three card. Well, just take a hold of that. There's a fella here that comes to Journey. I was visiting him one day, and he, he said, You know what I do? He said, when I, when I come to church on the weekend, I try to do this. When I walk through the door, I give God the first three minutes, and I look for someone I don't know. 
Now, he knows plenty of people here, so like any of us, we gravitate to, to people we know. He says, the first three minutes, I look for someone I don't know. I go up, shake hands with them. I ask their name. Ask them a couple questions. Just try to get acquainted. Three minutes. And then when the service is done, he says, I give God the first three minutes when I leave this room. And I look for someone I don't know. I try to shake hands, introduce myself, ask them a couple questions, and I try to get acquainted. Six minutes. You say, well, what? How could that be that significant? It's giving God something to work with. 135,000 Midianites, maybe not a good first step, but chopping down the pole, all right, I can do that. Let's see what happens with that. So I'd like you to consider, consider just this little commitment as a beginning step. So Lord, I don't know where to start, but I could do this. I could for one, two, three, or four months, I just circle one of those months or two of those months and say, you know, for the next couple months, when I come, come for worship, when I walk through the door, you get the first three minutes and I'm going to look for someone I don't know. As soon as the service is over, for the first three minutes, I'm going to look for someone I don't know. Because it's not actually hard for us to think we need others, but it's harder for us to realize others need us. Others need us. And that little act is an act of giving God something to work with, like the rod of Moses. And you could, uh, you could just fill this out. There's a little info at journeyweb.net because if something supernatural were to happen, we'd love to hear about it. Say, so, you know, I decided to do that for one month and something I never expected occurred. And here's my story. You could put this in the offering bag when it comes by or hand it to an usher at the end. And it's your commitment that I'm going to start somewhere with a baby step to give God something to work with. A businessman was having the collapse of his business in Atlanta. Finally, he called a Christian friend, a businessman, and they talked about it for a while. And his Christian friend says, well, I think this is what you need to do. They took out the scriptures, looked at a few business principles from scripture, and outlined a strategy. And then the businessman who was in trouble sat back and said, there's no way this is going to work. And the Christian said, that's the whole point. You're right. There's no way this is going to work unless God's in it. Number four. Moses said, but I can't speak. You want me to lead a bunch of people? And I don't even know how to speak. Provision number four. God's help in the enterprise. Exodus 4.12. Now go and I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. I will teach you what to say. Listen, never let your shortcomings make your decisions. I don't mean don't take them into account. Don't keep them on the table and make them visible. We should be aware of our shortcomings. But don't let your shortcomings make your decisions for you. It may well be true that Moses was not an eloquent person. But God's ability is to go beyond my resources if I make them available to him. 
the weakest year of my life, physically and spiritually, when I could not understand what it was God was doing, when I was in the midst of a level of oppression and opposition that befuddled me, the beginning of a year, God said, I happened to be serving a church that had an altar. And you remember Billy Graham used to always invite people to come forward? He said, and, and this, this was a German church. German people are somewhat reticent anyway. Even if you ask them to raise their hand, they get up to about here. You know, they're not a gregarious group. He said, if you, if you invite people to come forward every Sunday, the end of the truth you give, irregardless of what it is, there will be people there every Sunday for a year. I can tell you that there was no energy inside of me to believe that was true. But I just decided to do it. And I preached that year for about 40, 47 to 48 weekends. And during that year, every week, there were between 4 and 25 people. Inexplicable to me, I would leave church thinking, I do not understand what's going on. But it was the activity of God showing himself strong even through my weakest moments. The fifth, Moses said, I still don't really want to go. Can't you send somebody else? This is the one that's most humorous to me. Provision 5, the help of others during the enterprise. He says, I don't really, I still, I don't want to do it. Can't you send somebody else? And God said, Nexus 4.14, what about your brother Aaron? I know he can speak well, and he's already on his way. So you, you can go ahead and do this, and I'll just send Aaron with you. I, you can hear Moses saying, rats. So I, I don't care who we are. We get to some place, if it, if it matters at all, we get there because of other people in our lives. Paul had Barnabas. Ruth had Naomi. Esther had Mordecai. In the interview with Warren Buffett and Bill Gates, Warren Buffett talked about a mentor. We know his name because he's now dropped to the second wealthiest person in the world. But nobody, no, none of us have heard the name of his mentor. He said he pointed to a mentor. He said, taught him almost everything he needed to know about investing in money. We get there because of the people who sit at our right hand. And when Moses was still convinced he couldn't do it, God says, I'll just bring someone alongside of you. So to fulfill our spiritual destiny in harmony with the DNA of our life, God will be with us. He'll help us. He'll send people to help us. He'll work with what we have. These are his resources for you and me right now. Why don't we set our things aside as we finish up this morning. And you bow our heads together and just pray. And You might be in a circumstance or a relationship or find events in your life occurring. And like Moses, maybe even because of past history, you feel almost powerless. And the Lord's word to you today 
is the word he gave to Moses. That I'll be with you. I'll help you. I'll expand your resources. I'll bring people alongside of you. You can have stories. And you just might want to ask the Lord right now, where we're seated, heads bowed, and just say, Lord, I want to do something that's connected to my spiritual DNA, how you wired me, who I am. In the midst of the circumstances I find myself, I need to see the achievements of God. I want to have a story. Lord, show me how to take the first baby step in giving you something to work with so that like Moses, I find your provisions adequate for this season. Like Moses, I find your provisions adequate for this season. If you want to do that, just talk to the Lord right now as we wait briefly. There's nobody looking around, and we're not going to embarrass you with our heads bowed and our eyes closed just to honor the Lord. If you're praying, would you just slip your hand up and put it down? Say, I'm asking the Lord for that today. Yeah, up here in the front, throughout the middle, over on the left, in the middle again, over here on the right, in the back on my right, back in the center. Yeah. Lord, thank you for the example of Moses, who in the midst of great adversity and with a history that would seem to work against him, found you faithful. Lord, for these who slipped their hands up, I pray you'll rush grace that they'll find the faithfulness of God. In Jesus' name, amen.